I want to start off today in chapter in chapter two, verse sixteen. And in chapter two, verse sixteen, the very first word is therefore. Remember, every time you see the word therefore, you need to stop and pause to see what it's there for. Now, in verse six, as a matter of fact, of Colossians two, there's also another therefore. We didn't stop, but what we did pause and we went back to to see that what Paul was doing, he was giving thanksgiving and prayer to the to all those people in Colossus because he keeps hearing of the gospel message that was preached to them and how they received it, and it's been bearing fruit. We also know that uh, Paul was saying that uh, that the preeminence of Christ, that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, and he is God. He is also uh, he is also God himself in the flesh, and he is sufficient, is what Paul has been trying to convey to the people in Colossus because of the teachings that they had been receiving from other people outside sources. And so Paul says that he rejoices in their suffering, and he wants them to rejoice in his suffering because he's in, he's in chains. And as we went through all of this, Paul is just basically saying, look, there's some things that have been coming in. I want to address these. I want you to understand this. This is the letter that he had penned, not only for the people in Colossus, but also in the other city of Laodicea and Hierapolis. Now, um, and as we come to this portion here, therefore, this therefore has to go back to verses 6 through 15. And we, we kind of went through that in the last couple of weeks. And we took some time going through this because I wanted you to see what Paul was dealing with. We even looked at some of the uh, doctrines that they were receiving. And Paul would call them later to Timothy. He would say these are doctrines of demons. And a lot of this were, were heresy. They, they, were, uh, they were going against what, what Paul had taught. He says in verse 8, I'm sorry, verse 6, he says, As you received Christ the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive. There's the word that we're going to be focusing on today. By philosophy, we talked about philosophies that were being proclaimed and taught at that time. And, and a lot of it even per, pertains to us today in the philosophical Christian doctrine that seems to be going out around many churches and many places as if what Jesus Christ taught wasn't sufficient. Uh, he says, see to it that nobody takes you captive by philosophy. And by the way, philosophy is very, uh, it's, it's attractive. It's, it's, wow, you know, you can learn a lot. And, and those that learn a lot, they seem to want to even know more. And more, the more you know, it seems like you are the one that's elevated. And this was feeding the people's ego, especially those that were really pro- proclaiming this and teaching it. Because remember, for them, the higher in your education or the higher in your philosophical mind and your spiritual uh, well-being, I guess you would say, you, the closer you would get to God. And you know, what, the more you did that, the closer you were to God because that's how, what they were teaching in Gnosticism. And if philosophy and empty deceit, he goes on to say, according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. So Paul was already dealing with these things. He says, look, don't get caught up in all this philosophical stuff. Don't get caught up in all this teaching of things that, you know, you go all the way back to the ABCs, the elemental things, the things that pertain to the universe and the, the stars and, and uh, horoscopes and all that. Don't go back to that. that. You guys came out of that. You were dead. Remember, you were dead to that. And, and now God has made you alive in Christ Jesus. Stay away from all those things, he says. Uh, you don't need those. You don't need all that. Now, once again, and I try to make a point for this as well. It's not that philosophy in and of itself is bad. It's the worldly philosophy that Paul is referring to. Philosophically speaking, the love of wisdom. God's, God told us that uh, to seek wisdom, to love wisdom. Uh, he, he, the whole chapter, the whole book of Proverbs is about wisdom and how to seek her. And he, 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 he personifies wisdom as a, as a beautiful woman that a man is to search for, more precious than gold or silver. And wisdom in and of itself is, that comes from God is, is godly wisdom, is good wisdom. And Paul is not referring here to this, you know, the wisdom that we keep talking about. He's talking about the worldly wisdom. And you know, the worldly wisdom, they make sense of everything. And everything seems to be okay now in this world according to their wisdom. And in verse 9, he goes on to say, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Now, he goes back again saying, look, you don't need all these emanations. You don't need these angels. You don't need all these spirits or these forces that are out there to share with you and show you how to get to heaven. Because Jesus Christ, in him, it all dwells. He's, he, he holds everything. And he goes on to say, he says, you know, and you've already been filled. If you're saved and you've come to that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, 
you are filled with that same deity that Jesus Christ himself holds. Not that you're a God. Okay, don't get me wrong. But you are now made righteous because of Jesus Christ. Nothing else. No, not because of who you are, not because of what you've done. God didn't look down on you and say, oh, look how precious my little mijo Sal. I like him. I think I'm going to save him. He didn't say that. By his grace, he just said, you, you and you are part of this divine kingdom that I want to show my glory through. It's not about me. It's all about God to show his glory. And he goes on to say in verse 11, In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. Remember that there was a group of not only philosophers, but Jewish people proclaiming that you needed to follow the traditions of the Mosaic Covenant. And he says, that's already been dealt with. Verse 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. There was a debt that needed to be paid because of my sin. And I needed to pay that debt. And I, that debt needed to be settled. And so Jesus Christ himself, he propitiated that debt. He paid for that debt. The Bible says that he's the propitiation of our salvation. He, took it, he appeased God's wrath on my behalf. He appeased God's wrath on your behalf. There is nothing that you could have done to appease the wrath of God. And so when Jesus Christ saved me, and when he saves you, you are saved from God himself, which is a very hard concept and truth to, to accept and swallow. You mean Jesus Christ saved me from God? Yes. I thought he saved me from the devil. Well, that's, that's a byproduct. No, you still, you're still being uh, influenced by demonic forces. There are things still happening in your flesh that desire this world. But what God did is he took care of that penalty, that debt that you owed, that debt that you could not pay, the debt that he did not deserve. That debt that he did not make, he didn't inquire of it. All he did is he paid for it. He says, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of that debt for Sal and the whole world. And that's the debt that Paul is here delivering. And what he's trying to get across, and we'll see here in just a little bit, uh, in, in the, the chapter 3, because the first two chapters are doctrine. Just like the rest of the books that, that we have been going through, the first part of every book is doctrine. Doctrine, doctrine. This is who Jesus Christ is. This is what he's done. This is why you're, you're standing in this position. Don't let all these other things influence you. Now I'm going to show you how to live. Now I'm going to show you what you ought to do. He has rules for Christian households. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, be obedient. Masters, serve your, uh, excuse me, servants, serve your masters. It, 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 always. Not just when they're looking. But serve them because you're, you're working as a, in the God. So he has these practical steps that he's going to share with us after we get done with the doctrine that Paul is teaching. So he has, he has come forth and he's talked to us. He says, you know, don't, don't fall back into this tradition that some of you used to be in. And the, the funny thing is, is that some of these Gentiles were never part of that tradition. But now the Jewish believers in that group wanted to put this yoke of slavery to, to put them in bondage to this law that they themselves could not even hold up themselves. And so what Paul is doing here is just don't, don't listen to them. But isn't that in the Old Testament? Isn't that what the Bible taught? Yes, but that's the old covenant. You have a new covenant now. And we'll talk about that here some more. And then he says in verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them, over them in him. You know, these rulers and these principalities and these things, and I ended up with this last week. Why are people afraid of things that go bump in the night? Why are you afraid of these demonic forces that are out there? Why, you know, on top of that, why are you being influenced by these demonic influences? Because... Paul is saying they've been put to shame. It's kind of like going to a defeated team and, uh, that, that's already been defeated and saying, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow you. And, and even though you're going to go to the dungeon and, and this, this battle has been won already and, and, and here comes all the foes and all the enemies and you join along with them. 
It, Paul says, it, it just doesn't make sense. Why do you keep doing this? Why do you do this at all? That's why he says, therefore, in verse 16, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. Why do you hold on to those things, he's saying? In verse 23, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Father in heaven, many of us, we struggle with the flesh, and we hear certain practices and disciplines and things that we should do and how to overcome the flesh. Steps in what to do and, and foods in which we must eat and, and how to appease you so that the flesh doesn't bother us anymore. Some have gone to furthest extremes of going into caves and mountaintops and, and just being all by themselves and believing that, that they can get away from all sin. Yet, as your word says, it doesn't do anything. It's of no value of stopping the desire, the craving, the hungering of the flesh. Only Jesus Christ can do that. And I pray that through this lesson today, through your word, we can understand that and put our total faith in what Jesus Christ has already done on the cross. So Father, help us to understand this and how to live and how to, how to walk this path that you've already set aside for us, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone says... Amen. <clears throat> number one, guard your freedom in Christ, in your outlines. Number one, through Jesus, you are set free. You are set free. And because you are set free, Paul says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question to food or drink. Or with regard to festivals or new moon or Sabbath. In, in, in that time, during, in Coloss, in uh, in, in the other two cities as well, there was this, this need to try to get everybody on board on what needed to happen because as if Jesus Christ wasn't enough. The churches in this valley, they all face the danger of spiritual intimidation, kind of like what some of you have probably faced in the past. It's interesting that the moment you tell somebody that you're going to church or that you become a Christian, or, you know, that you are thinking about, you know, that you've already changed your life. They always come up and say, oh, but, however, do you or have you, uh, you know, do you do these certain things? Do you speak in tongues? Have you seen visions? Do you eat certain foods? Are you guys abstaining from certain foods? It just seems like all of a sudden that you have been liberated from Christ and you're letting people know. And then they say, oh, but you got to come to our church. Because our church is the real church. They will teach you how to live this Christian life by, and then they add X, Y, and Z. We worship on Saturday. You guys are trying to worship on Sunday. What is wrong with you guys? The Bible says that Sabbath is a Saturday. That's the last day of the week. And that's a command by God. And so what ends up happening, at least it happened in my life. When I first became a Christian, I started telling people, hey, you know what, I just became a Christian. And all of a sudden, their spirituality just went up, kaboom. Well, you know, and everybody was trying to talk me out of the church I was going to. Then I got saved at to come to their church. It was like, okay, I mean, I didn't know that this was a competitive market, <laughs> you know. Uh, you're, yeah, I'm a, how come you never told me about Christ? You know, if, you, if you're really so concerned, you should have told me about these things. You know, well, now we can tell you the real truth. And uh, we can share with you the, what's really true and, and how this all works out. And so this is what was going on in this little church of Coloss. And people were gathering and people were coming in. Okay, now that you're a Christian, here are some things that you need to know. And Paul's already laid it all out for them. And it was, it was very... Um, 
it, it was very confusing to some of the people. And some of these people believe that they had this, this privilege and this, uh, you know, we're just, we're special because we have this, this hidden knowledge, this higher level of understanding of God. And I can get you there if you just do these certain prayers, these certain incantations, these certain whatever it is to get you to that place, this higher hidden truth that is beyond Jesus Christ and the word. And these heretics, they, what they did is they formed an elite exclusive group and, and they hated, they disdained, they, they didn't like anybody that just wasn't lightened up. You know, you're the unenlightened. You see, and, and you come across people like this all the time. And some of it is, is kind of, you know, funny and comical, but others it's kind of, wow, I didn't know. I didn't, you know, and you feel le- left out and you feel like there's something missing. Beloved, there's nothing missing. See, Paul says you're already set free. You're done. You see, Paul's already dealt with, you know, the, with the philosophy. He's already dealt with presenting Christ's sufficiency. He's already dealt with these things. This is why we went over this. And what he's dealing with now are these, these three things that we're going to pull out of here. That number one, you're already set free. You don't need anybody else. You don't need anything else to show you what it is that you need to know. As a matter of fact, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink or with regard to a festival. And, and these, this food or drink, I mean, there's a lot of things to be said about eating or not eating and the way you eat, the way you don't eat. Granted, many of us eat stuff that we shouldn't eat, okay? And again, it's not a matter of what you eat or what you don't eat. It's not a matter of how much you eat because in Galatians chapter 5, Paul's already said, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And there was this legalistic rituals and regulations that the Jewish people held on to, and it was just so rigid. And they would pride themselves into what they would do And Moses did command, God commanded the Jewish people to stay away from certain foods. Unclean foods is what he called them. Unclean foods are foods with the uncloven foot. Or, you know, like, for instance, cows were good, goats, of course, and sheep. But there were things like certain sea animals, certain birds, or certain foods. Pigs were not one that were to be eaten. Uh, swine was considered to be unclean, and you would not eat swine. And today we know that in a lot of the pig or pork that we have, there's a lot of diseases and stuff. And it, it, it might do you well not to eat pork, especially if you're allergic to it or things are happening. Um, you know, there's a, there was another, a lot of shellfish were off the table for the Jewish people. There were a lot of things, snakes, of course, and cer- certain birds and certain things. There were a lot of things that were off the table for the Jewish people. What God did is He said, look, I'm going to set myself self apart, a people that are peculiar. This is what I want you to do. I want you to eat and I want you to drink only this. Not like everybody else. Everybody else was eating and drinking and doing whatever they want. Cannibalism came out of that as well. Because if you got hungry enough, then you should be able to eat a person. Well, God forbade that, number one. You don't eat another person, you know, no matter how tasty they look. That's not what you do, (laughs) you know. You you just trust God. You trust God. And uh, I can go into that quite a bit. As a matter of fact... One of the things that Jesus Christ said in Mark chapter 7 in your outlines, he said this, you know, when he's talking about the food that people are eating and and when they ate and how they ate, Jesus tells the Pharisees and he said to them, then you are also without understanding. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters his heart, but his stomach, it does not enter his heart, but his stomach and it is expelled. What Jesus Christ is saying, it's not what you eat that makes you unclean. It's what you take in mentally, emotionally. It's what you take in uh, intellectually that goes into your heart. As a matter of fact, he tells them in Matthew chapter 15, hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. And whatever comes out of your mouth is what's in your heart. And what Jesus Christ has just said here, look, everything that you take in is expelled. That goes out, it, you know, and, and it, it, that once you've taken it in, it goes out. But what doesn't go out, uh, and when it does come out, is what goes into your heart. You see, if you have angry words, it's because you have an angry heart. If you have an angry uh, voice that is jealous and, and wants to hurt people, it's because your heart is jealous and, and is very hurtful. Everything that comes out of your mouth is what comes out of your heart. Now, you might say some things to people, and then after you say it, you always... End it with, I was just 
kidding. No, you weren't. You were not kidding. Because what came out of your mouth is what came out of your heart. And to add that disclaimer, I was just kidding, does not work in God's economy. When you say something, it's because that's what you believe. That's what you say. It doesn't matter how much you say you were kidding. It doesn't matter how much you say you were sorry. It doesn't matter how much you say, well, I was just, you know, I was just tempered, you know, or whatever. I was drunk or, or whatever the case may be. Because that's what actually comes out of your heart. Jesus says, it's not the food that you take. It's all the, in, the, all the intellectual stuff. Everything that comes into your, into your body. You see, and, and in, in, the, in those days... There were certain foods that were needed to be eaten, you know, by the Jewish people. Jesus Christ came and he abolished that. When he came, he took care of the old covenant and he gave them a new covenant. And the new covenant now stands and says, you know, everything that God has created, everything that God has made is clean. He showed this to Peter and uh, at a certain, when he was going to visit a Gentile. And while he was up in the top rooftop meditating and thinking about what he was going to go do next, because he had to go visit this guy, Cornelius, and his household. He had to go inside his house, and Jewish people would never enter into a Gentile's house. And while he was meditating, the Bible says that he saw a vision, that a, a sheet came down with all these snakes and reptiles and all kinds of animals, and a voice from heaven says, kill and eat, because Peter was hungry. Peter says, never, Lord, I'm not going to kill and eat that. Eat what's unclean, and God says, "Do not call unclean what God has made clean." And the sheet went up, and it came again. It came down. Same thing happened. And at that point, that's when somebody came to visit him and says, "Okay, it's time to go see my master." And that is a picture of Jesus Christ of God saying, "Look, everything is permissible. You you can you can eat whatever you want." Now, there's certain things, of course, that you shouldn't eat. Some of you have certain health issues that you shouldn't be eating, and and it's not a matter of what you eat or don't eat. Even later. As the Gentiles started to become Christians, and there was this, this whole, this, what we're arguing with right now, now that they're Christians, they got to follow the Mosaic Law. There was a conference that was held, and they all got together. So, look, these Gentiles, do we make them Jewish people or not? And they says, well, they can't be Jewish. They're, they're not Jewish. They're Gentiles. So how do we settle this? And they came up with this formula. They said, okay, here's what happens. Jewish people continue to be Jewish. You know, you got to follow the Jewish dietary laws and everything else. But if you don't want to follow them, that's okay, because the new covenant takes care of it all. Gentiles, four things I want you to stop doing, okay? He says, number one, don't eat meat that has been strangled. Don't, don't eat an animal that's been strangled. Abstain from that. Abstain from sexual immorality. Abstain from, uh, from, from blood. Do not drink the blood of an animal. And abstain from... Oh, I forget what it was. There's something else. But anyways, on those four things that they gave the Jewish people, the Gentiles, to follow, there was no, and also follow the Sabbath law. He didn't say follow the Sabbath law as well. As a matter of fact, that was not part of the, part of the covenant. Some of the things that a lot of people, the people say, you know, about the, the eating and the food and everything else, most of the time they are trying to build themselves up to be something even more so than anybody else. Now, if you want to be a certain type of, have some certain type of diet, something in your life that you want to follow rigidly, it's great. It's fine. What Paul is dealing with here, he's dealing about people that says, you know what, because you don't eat like them, because you don't worship like them, because you don't meet like them, then they say you're not part of the group. There is this elitism of people that can follow these very strict dietary uh, traditions and concepts of certain, certain groups and sects. And, uh, and these people, what they were trying to do was try to make everybody like them. Now, I have a very special diet. I don't, people ask me, I tell them what my diet is, and, and I, I try to stay on that as best as I can. But I don't look down on people because they don't follow my diet. Uh, as a matter of fact, I encourage people, you know, if you want to lose weight, if you want to be healthy, here's some of the things that you can do. There's some of the things that I've, I've done. As a matter of fact, this morning, James comes up and says, man, you've lost a lot of weight. I says, well, I, I, I don't know, I guess. <laughs> you know, the, the, my, my whole purpose of that was to lose weight because I know it's unhealthy. And there's some things that I need to stay away from because it's just evident. Sugar, for one, not that sugar is bad, but an overindulgence of sugar, you know, cornflakes with sugar, you know, and then, then a donut and then, uh, you know, some orange juice. And then for lunch, you know, some, so, you know another, some more sugar and then candies and cookies and, well, you name it. You know, that, I mean, that was my diet. I saw a picture of me here just five years ago, man. I was like, you know, I was barely getting around here. I turn around like this and knock over the podium. 
You know, I, I'd stand on a scale and have to suck my good in. My wife says, that's not going to help you lose weight. No, I know, but it helps you see the scale. I can see it now. I used to tell her, I, I, I think I look like Brad Pitt. She says, no, you look like an avocado pit. <laughs> you know, I've had to take my clothes in. And again, every person has to come to a, a certain realization in their life on what it is that they're going to do. But, and it's okay on what it is and how you do this. But to expect everyone else to follow your traditional diet or whatever the case may be, uh, traditions, and, and to think, you know, I am more elite and more knowledgeable because of what I eat and what I don't eat. And, because of, and you don't. See, this is what the people were trying to do. Look, the Bible says, and this is what you have to do. But Paul says, no, no, that's the old covenant. Jesus Christ took care of it. Just like he took care of the, the Sabbath. You know, a lot of Christians make the mistake of saying that Sunday is the new Sabbath. No, it's not. The Sabbath is the Sabbath. And Sunday is Sunday. The Sabbath is the last day of the week. Sunday is the first day of the week. We call that the Lord's Day. And that's the Lord's Day. And, and there is no commandment to worship on the Sabbath, or excuse me, on the, on the Lord's Day, especially for new Christians. As a matter of fact, there's some arguments that we can probably give because a lot of people come up to you and say, well, the Bible says, the Bible says, and yes, it does say that. That's for the Jewish people. That's under the old law. Because number one, first of all, the Sabbath was a sign to Israel of the old covenant because we are now under the new covenant. We're no longer required to keep the sign of the old covenant. We're not. Uh, second, the New Testament nowhere commands Christians to observe the Sabbath. Third, Jesus resurrected on the first day of the week. And that was an indication that, you know, he, that's when he showed himself. As a matter of fact, they told Thomas because he wasn't there. They says, Thomas, we saw Jesus win. Well, just today, it was the first day of the week. And he's standing there and says, oh, I'm not going to believe it until I see his, the, hands, the holes in his hands and the, the hole in his side. And on the very first day of the week, the next week, he shows up and he says, Thomas, see? And they met every day thinking that they were going to see Jesus. But he shows up on the first day of the week. Again, the third first day of the week. As a matter of fact, the last time he showed up was on the first day of the week and he ascended into heaven. And because he appeared on the first day of the week, they called that the Lord's Day. He resurrected on the Lord's Day. They said, we're going to meet every first, every first day of the week to see if he comes back. And, see, and every first day of the week, people just gathered. And they gathered. They gathered every day. But for worship, it was the day to remember Jesus Christ has resurrected. Another thing, we, we don't find any Old Testament hint that God expected Gentile nations to observe the Sabbath. There's nothing in the Old Testament that says they have to observe the Sabbath. This is for the Jewish people. There's no evidence of anyone keeping the Sabbath before the time of Moses. The Jerusalem Council, oh yeah, here it is. You know, they said when they, when they talked about the Gentiles, what it is that we should be doing as Gentiles, to be included in this Christianity, this new uh, covenant that Jesus Christ has now established with all people, not just the Jewish people, they said that they ought to abstain from things polluted by idols. That's the one thing I missed. In other words, foods or things that were polluted or given or, or sacrificed to idols. We were to abstain from that. We were to abstain from sexual immorality. We were to abstain from what had been strangled, and we were to abstain from blood itself. No drinking of blood. Those are the only things that they required the Gentiles to do. These are, you know, there's a lot of laws that us Jewish people follow. Four things. The Sabbath wasn't included in there. Um, Paul warned the Gentiles about many different sins in his epistles when he wrote, and we've been looking at all these sins that Paul has been warning us about and telling us about. Never does he say, oh, and by the way, you guys are sinning by not practicing and keeping the Sabbath. He never said that to the Gentiles. But he tells us about sexual immorality. He tells us about food sacrifice idols. He tells us about uh, having other gods. He tells us about, you know, blaspheming God. He tells us about all these various types of things and sins. But the Sabbath is never in it. And so what we, what we come to conclude, when, when Paul says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink or what regard the festivals and new moons. These are a shadow of the things to come. In other words, the reality is Jesus Christ. The shadow is what, the, what we see behind us. You, you don't go up to the shadow and try to hug it. You don't go up to the shadow and give it a high five. You don't go up to the shadow and, and, and you want the shadow and, and then all of a sudden it's gone. That's something that, is, that Jesus Christ was showing. You see, this is why we don't practice celebrating the Passover on a regular basis, as far as Jewish people do. We do, we do, show the, we do uh, hold the Sabbath, uh, Passover meal. We do have a Passover meal, but we don't do it on Passover like they do. 
We do it as a picture to show you this is where the Lord's Supper came from. But this is not going to save you. And see, all of this was contingent to people's salvation. If you didn't do these things, you weren't genuinely saved. And so what, what Jesus Christ, what Paul is basically sharing with us in Hebrews chapter 10, and this is in your outlines also, for since the law has but a shadow of the things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it could never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. By celebrating these traditions, these holidays, these customs, uh, dietary laws, it's not going to do anything to you. It's not going to do anything for you. Those are only just the shadow. You're only made perfect by drawing near to the Son of God. Number two, through Jesus Christ, you have already won. Number one, through Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, you're already made complete. Through Jesus Christ, He has set you free. We don't have these rules and regulations to have to follow. And now through Jesus Christ, you're, you've won. The battle is over. The, you're not going to, to hell. The, the wrath of God has been satisfied in Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through, through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. You see, he started off by saying, therefore, because of all these things that, you know, I don't want you to be held captive. I don't want these things to happen. You, you know, you're set free. You're set free now, and now you are, you, you're already won. You don't have to fight this battle of trying to be righteous. You have been made righteous by Jesus Christ. And so he says, let no one disqualify you. This, this Greek word, disqualify you, is, is a word that it was used to take away your gift, or take away your treasure, or your victory crown, or your trophy, to disqualify you from the game, and not give you the ability to advance forward. You know, to, to disqualify you from even competing and this is what was happening to some of the people. They were being disqualified because, well, you didn't keep A, B, and C. So therefore, you're no longer in the game. And people were feeling dejected. They said, what? I mean, you know, am I supposed to be eating these kind of foods? Am I supposed to be practicing you know, these kind of traditions on the Sabbath? Am I, what am I missing? Paul, I thought you said we were set free. We were already, we've already won. And that's why Paul says, well, don't let nobody disqualify you. It doesn't matter what they say. All they're doing is adding to your salvation. All they're doing is adding. In, in that time, Gnosticism, and as a matter of fact, it happens today also. And a lot of what I'm saying right now about what happened back then is happening today. And you can probably see it in certain people, in certain traditions and churches and stuff. But in that day, uh, like today, there was a worship and this fascination of angels. Angels just seemed to, to pop up and, and people were saying, these are the emanations of God. These are the good emanations. And the only way to be able to get to God is to get through these angels, these, these things that just appeared and, and showed themselves to us. And they would have this huge fascination on the spiritual realm because, you know, if you encountered a spiritual being, then that made you special. And then you would come back and say, I saw an angel. Really? Yeah, what was it like? Well, you know, uh, he had wings. Really? What else? Uh, he glowed. And, uh, you know, and they would just make it up. Or maybe they did see wings. Maybe they did see a glow. Maybe, maybe there was something about what it was that they saw. And there are a lot of people today that say they have seen angels. I've had pictures sent to me of clouds of angels. And they, they, their people are got these pictures in their rooms and in their living rooms. And, and, and they, they, wow, look, see, God showed himself to me in this manner. And it's as if that is the focus of what we are supposed to be doing. And Paul says, don't, don't hold fast to those things. Those are things that are, they're, they're not real. I mean, there are angels, don't get me wrong. Angels have, angels have been around for a long time, but they are ministering servants. Angels are here to serve God, and they serve us. As a matter of fact, one of the things that happens, and Paul even says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, in your outlines, verse 13 and on, he says, for such men are false apostles. He's talking about these people that are trying to get people to move on onto their agenda. They're deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And then he goes on to say, and no wonder, 
For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will, be, uh, their end will correspond to their deeds. You'll, you'll go on to see that this is exactly what's going to happen. And so angels have always been in the loop. As a matter of fact, uh, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, it says here that, uh, and, and they, they, not all ministering spirits, are they not all ministering spirits, sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. There's angels, and they're sent to serve. And they serve in such a way. And John, the Apostle John, while he was on the island of Patmos, writing the revelation of Jesus Christ, he saw an angel. And when he saw an angel, he was so frightened. And, and he says, my God, I, there's, there's an angel right here. And, and here's what he did in chapter 19, verse 10. And he does it also in chapter 20. He says, I, then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, no, you, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Worship God. If an angel appears and he comes to you and he shows himself to you, his first response is going to say, the cross. I'm here to show you the cross. I'm here to show you God through Jesus Christ. That's what I'm here to do. Not to bring the attention upon himself. Anything that brings attention to himself is not of God. Jesus even said the Holy Spirit himself will not bring glory to himself, but he will make me, he'll bring glory to me, Jesus says. And to invest time and energy in, in, in the third person of the Trinity as the thing is a person to worship, it grieves the Holy Spirit's heart to think, no, I'm, I'm not the center of this. No, my responsibility is to convict you of sin and to point you to the glory of God through Jesus Christ. That is his responsibility. Because anytime we focus on angels or the Holy Spirit or anything else, it takes away from the finished work of Christ. We want more. We want this enlightenment. We want to be closer to God. You know, if I see an angel, maybe an angel can get me closer to God. If I see Jesus appear, maybe he can get me closer to God. And if, and if you know, if, if the Holy Spirit just happens to show up in such a way that he knocks me down, maybe I can get closer to God. And if I start speaking in gibberish, maybe he can get me closer, it'll get me closer to God. And it goes on and on and on. This was going on in the first century. As a matter of fact, let me share something, a verse with you. It's kind of obscure, but maybe you can catch it in Hebrews 13, 1 and 2. And Paul is not talking about angels here. He's talking about practice, what, or the writer of the Hebrews, on how to practice. He says, let brotherly love continue. Paul is talking about this unity. You know, let brotherly love continue. A little bit later in this chapter, he says, you know, follow your leaders because they're working diligently for you. As men that have to give account. So it doesn't make any sense for you to be disruptive. You know, as a matter of fact, love them, encourage them, build them up. Because, they're, you know, and in this whole process, he, he's, this one verse right here just kind of stands out for our, our talk today. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Now, see, people say, well, see, right there it says I'm supposed to be kind to people because maybe I'm entertaining an angel. And see, you're missing the point. It says, maybe, unawares, some of your translations say, without even knowing. You do not even know who it is that you're entertaining. There is no concept of an angel being there. There is no concept of understanding that this is a ministering servant of God. So show hospitality to that person because you never know. Because you never know. That's the point. And out of this verse, people have said, you see, everybody around us, maybe this homeless person that I'm helping is an angel. And we make an angel out of this homeless person and we feed them, clothe them. It could have been an angel. And, and we, we make this whole focus on this angelology that really God says they're ministering servants, just like you and me. And if an angel were to show up, you wouldn't even know it. Of course, if it was the other angels, if it was those that want the attention, those that desire the attention, those that desire to take the attention away from Jesus Christ. And that's all they do. That's all they do. Verse, uh, excuse me, number three. Through Jesus, you are made righteous. 
Through Jesus, you're already made righteous. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, the ABCs, of all those things that you've been trying to follow, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? This is a question that he's asking. As a matter of fact, you can go from here when he says, uh, why, as if you were still alive in, in the world, do you submit to regulations, and then you can skip all that other part, according to, human precept, according to human precepts and teachings. But he inserts this section here. He says, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. Paul says, what is it? Why, why is it that it, you know, you're trying to get to this point of, of being so, uh, you know, trying to, to be so meticulous and disciplined in your life? Now, again, discipline is important in the Christian life. As a matter of fact, we get our word discipleship out of the word discipline. Discipleship is, is part, is, it has the word discipline in it because a disciplined disciple is in discipleship. And being a disciple means being disciplined in the Word of God. And when we come into the Word of God, we study this already. Study to show yourself approved as a workman who can handle, correctly handle the Word of Truth. You want to be able to be disciplined as you read Scripture, as you take notes, as you do studies. You want to be disciplined in God's Word so you can know when it is somebody is bringing you something that you shouldn't be listening to. You study the truth, you, show, you, you read the truth, you, you, you pray the truth, and you, you, you go through the truth. Somebody comes in with, well, yeah, you know, but you also have to speak in tongues. That's not what the Bible says. Oh, yeah, they were speaking tongues all over the place here. Look at that. Okay, first of all, those tongues are tongues, languages. You know, languages. Look, Pentecost, came. how many languages? Were 16, they were speaking 16 different languages. Not gibberish, not this stuff that you guys do rolling down aisles, and I, God knows what it is that you guys are doing spoke languages, tongues. That's what it meant. Not gibberish. But, but, but it says here that we should be speaking the tongues of angels. No, Paul didn't say that. Once again, he's not talking about tongues. He's talking about love. If I were to have the tongues of angels, and if I were to have the tongues of men, we well, see there's the tongues of angels, and they make a doctrine out of that. But you got to keep reading. And if I were to sacrifice my body, and, and if I were to cast it into... Um, into the fire and if I were to get you know Paul is doing a lot of hyperbole there if this and if that if I get burned up and if I give everything away and if I'm just so wise and so everything if really all that happens and if I have all this knowledge nobody can have all this knowledge nobody nobody's gonna throw themselves in a fire well it says right there tongues of angels okay throw yourself in the fire then let's see what happens <laughs> I'll build a bonfire how's that if I can do all these things what Paul is trying to get across is, you know, if I, if I can do all, if, if there was a, a language of angels, which, by the way, every time an angel in the Bible speaks to a person, always speaks to him in their language. That's the language. Every time. He spoke to them in their language. It was English. No, Hebrew. Whatever the language was. Greek. If, Paul is saying, if I have all of these things and not love, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. And, and so when you, when you look at this and, and you see this, you see, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirit of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, you know, in other words, okay, well, you can't touch that thing, you know. And, and asceticism is exactly that. Asceticism is people that don't want to touch, handle, taste, anything. And they stay away from all these things. And as a matter of fact, there are some people that would even abuse their bodies, by whipping themselves or carrying a cross up to the top of a mountain. You've heard of this. And they sacrifice themselves. And, and all of it is pride. All of it is ego. Because everybody says, oh, look at that guy. Oh, my God. Look at him. I'm doing this for Jesus. Oh, I'm, I'm suffering for cause. I'm suffering for the cause of Jesus Christ. And oh, I'm not eating. As a matter of fact, I'm not ever going to say another word. And it's all pride. All of it. It's pride. Look what I can do. For Jesus Christ. Beloved, it's been done. It's taken care of. Paul is saying this. It's done. And you want to sacrifice yourself? You know what? I'll tell you what. Turn off your internet. Shut your TV down. 
And some people say, you know what, I'd rather hang on a cross with the TV in front of me. <laughs> with the, and, you know, with the remote control so I can get it from time to time over here. You know, stay away from the stuff of this world. Now, when, when we say this, a lot of people say, well, then I need to go into a mountain. I need to go into a cave. And see, that's asceticism. And where's, where's Sal? Oh, he's up in the mountain praying. Oh, really? How long has he been up there? He's been up there three weeks. Whoa, really? Three weeks? Man, he must really be spiritual. Yes, he is. And I come back down. Oh, look at me. I've been up the mountains three weeks. When's the last time you took a shower? Three weeks ago. <laughs> Stand back. Oh, no, no. But it's, it's a holy stench. <laughs> it's a holy stink. You know, I, I'm, I'm stinking for Jesus, you know, really. And, and, and it's, it's pride. See, asceticism, legalism. This, this thing of holding or not holding, touch, legalism, it's all pride. And, and what the Jewish people, what the Pharisees didn't understand is they, they kept the law as perfectly as possible. And th- this is why God says you can't do that. Because the moment that you, you keep it all and you say, look, I've done it perfectly. Look, look at me. Pride sets in. You know, a believer, a genuine believer in Jesus Christ understands. Let me read the rest of this. These, Paul says, have indeed an appearance of wisdom they have this appearance you know wow it looks good you know of wisdom in promoting self-made religions and asceticism and severity to the body well look at him i mean he's just he doesn't eat you know he's been fasting 40 days he's gonna die but he's doing it for jesus oh wow that maybe i could never do that but paul says they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. See, Paul is dealing here with the flesh, with the flesh, with the flesh. We've been talking about this. And as much as you keep all these rules and regulations, your mind cannot be transformed. None of these things can transform your heart. As Jesus Christ said, you need a new heart. You need a new heart. Now, am I saying fasting is wrong? No, I mean, I I fast on a regular basis. I do an intermittent fast, and it's, a lot of it is, you know, uh, for a day. Sometimes I'll do it for three days, you know. Uh, what about going into a cave and praying? Well, there's some caves up the road here, not too far off the Cajon Pass, that uh, they have a bunch of caves. You can go in there and, and spend a day or two in prayer, solitude, you know, connecting with God. Is, none of that is bad, you know. I mean, but when that becomes the purpose and the reason to change your heart, to get away from sin, to get saved, to have salvation because what you're saying is that what Jesus Christ did on the cross was not enough. And this is what Paul is referring to when he comes through in chapters 3 and 4 and he talks to us about all these things. As a matter of fact, to, to walk in the Spirit so that you do not, you do not gratify the desires of the sinful na- nature. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, we talked about this here a while back. What we need to do is to abide in Christ. In John 15, in your outlines, it says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you're trying to add something else to that, then you're not going to make it. Abide in Jesus Christ. How do I abide? Well, first of all, get to know who Jesus is. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Get to know who Jesus is. If you still don't have a clear picture, read it again. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you're still not too clear, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Go over and over. Get to know Jesus. Get to know what he said, what he said to do, what he said not to do, what it was that he did, what the disciples did. There's a lot of things there that you can understand. People tell me all the time, I can't can't understand what the Bible says. You know, have you read it? Yeah, I don't understand any of it. Well, you know that part where it says, don't lie? He goes, yeah, 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 I'm not. Well, don't do that. It's as simple as that. You know that part where it says, where Jesus says, love your enemies? Yeah, yeah. Okay, do that. I ain't going to do that, you see. It's not that you don't understand. You just don't want to do it. And that's where abiding comes. You see, Peter tells us, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, through his divine power. It's done. It's finished. And so what we do from this point forward is we take the message of the word of God, apply it to our lives, 
in the next two chapters, we're going to see in Paul, in my Bible, on the top of chapter 3, it says, put on the new self. We're going to see how Paul wants us to put on the new self. How do we do that? Well, I'm glad you asked, because that's what we're going to be doing from this point forward. How to put on the new self. How are we going to do that? As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, he starts off in verse 1. If then, in other words, all right, if then, that's, a, that's one of those therefore words. If then, you know, if then what? Well, these things that you just read, these things that you just heard, these things that you just studied. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. There it is. Those things that are above, Christ. That's what we'll be talking about. Let me ask you to stand. Father, thank you once again. And I know that many of us have been caught up in religion and trying to do. And I pray, God, that as we come here every Sunday, that this is not just part of something that we do in order to get right with you. But we come here, Lord, because it's already been done. What Jesus did on the cross. We come here because we come to worship and to love our Lord and Savior. He is our Savior. He saved us from your wrath. But He also needs to be our Lord, where we get our directions from. He is the head. He is the head of this body. And we need to plug into that head and stop running all by ourselves. So I thank you for how you've moved us to be here today. And and just to be able to see the areas that, that maybe we are legalizing in ourselves, being legalistic or, or prideful in ourselves and things that we do because we think that we're above and, and better than others. Because there's no one, as we will find out in the next few chapters, there is no one that is above anybody else. Only Christ. So Father, thank you for your word and how it's been preserved for us to read. And Father, just lead us this, evening, this afternoon and the rest of our, our business that we, we attend to, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. Amen.